Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's so good to see everybody here this Labor Day weekend. Uh, welcome to September. Um, I have the pleasure, my name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming, welcoming you here to River City this morning. Um, here at River City, we start out every Sunday by reading a psalm. It is a way we connect to the global church. There are churches all over the world who are reading and studying this psalm as well as part of the lectionary. Today's psalm is Psalm 15, um, and we read from the ESV. And it says, a psalm of David. O Lord, who, so, who shall join in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears in his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and who does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does not do who he who does these things should never be moved. All right, um, and we'll pray. God, thank you for our family here at River City. Thank you for those who are joining us today, for that are visiting out of town or visiting River City for the first time. We thank you for each one of those people, God, who you have chosen and selected. Thank you that they are here with us today so that we can connect with them. We don't take connection as just something to say or tout. It's something we attempt to knit in our hearts, Father God. God, we pray that we make room at the table for everyone. It is never too crowded for another friend or loved one or family member. Lord, we just continue to pray for our sisters and brothers in Christ who are also gathering this morning or gathered last night, those who may have to gather in secret. Lord, thank you that you have left such a holy word for us to study, to find ways to be more intimate with you. And these things we pray, amen. 
God, that you, your word is true. You are a faithful God. This is who you say that you are. We believe you this morning. Give us patience to endure, Father. Patience to press on. Patience to trust and believe in the dreams and the futures that you've put in our heart of what what this world and our environments can be when they're drenched in your love, God. Drench us in your love. Drench us in your mercy. We receive it, God. We want it. We need it, God. We need your presence, Lord. Let us get away from want and just step right into the need, God. Recognizing the need that we need you to wake up in the morning. Because we woke up this morning, that means you are faithful. Because there's something for us today that you have to do through us, God. The fruits that we're to produce through being deep in your presence and knowing who you are and loving you unconditionally like you love us, God. Trusting you unconditionally. Being obedient. Because you're a good father and you know what's good for us. And these things you say in 1 Peter are because you love us. We're not smarter than you. We don't know more. We don't know better. Your way is always better, God. We put our lives in your hands today, God. Remind us of why we're here. We love you so much, God. We just want to rededicate our lives and what that looks like really living for you, Jesus, for more of you in the land of the living and of the dead. May they just rise back to life through the love that you've put in us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How are we doing? All right, I'm, I'm going to get you to the potluck. Why are all these pencils here? Okay, so we're continuing our look through 1 Peter this morning, uh, moving into chapter 2, as we've discussed as a staff. You good over there? As we've discussed as a staff, um, we thought 1 Peter was a logical follow-up to our walk through, our journey through uh, the Gospel of Mark. Um, We'll see over and over how Peter's experiences with Jesus in Mark shaped his later ministry. Um, The lessons he learned as a spiritual child with Jesus, mature into his apostolic ministry later. You've heard some of our Scotland team this morning. Um, Our theme this year, as you saw in the video, was the great adventure. And Maggie, our speaker, Maggie Bowling, she works at Stonebridge. She was our camp speaker this year. She used that adventure metaphor, uh, walking the students through their spiritual journey. Um, During camp, we had morning talks as well. some teaching time, and then the kids had an opportunity to, to have a small group discussion after that. Um, and our, st- our, our team helped with that. Um, on the first morning, one of, one of the Potter's House leaders, she shared, she's a doctor with the National Health Service over there. She's also a former camper. She shared about her adventure with them on the Mercy Ships last year. I shared a little bit about my personal adventure, um, some of the lessons I've learned in my walk with the Lord, then Emily shared a little bit about her adventure over the last year and some of the truths God's been showing her in the last year. And for the, and for the last morning, I spoke about Peter's adventure, 
right? Looking at Peter and Mark, and then how in First and Second Peter we see the maturing that he went through in the course of the mistakes we saw him make in Mark. Um, and I'm not going to go through it that way here this morning um, because that's beyond the scope of what we're doing. But um, I wanted to just give you an idea of what else camp was about. It wasn't just about paint wars and eggs on heads and water balloons. Um, so today we pick up in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Um, I do like how Jordan framed uh, this this letter last week from the voice of a father, um, I can relate to that voice. Um, there are so many things I want to tell Keegan, um, to give him knowledge about things, to equip him for various situations he's going to face. Um, I'm trying to clue him into some things, uh, many that I didn't handle well and some that I did. Um, here's what worked for me. Here's where I wish I had done something different um, because the way I handled it turned out pretty poorly. Um, and if you're a parent, though, you know that vicarious learning is really just something that social scientists study um, to explain why very few people learn from the lessons of other people's mistakes. Um, we tell our kids all sorts of things, but we know they're going to make their own decisions, right? And they're going to reach their own consequences for those decisions. The hard part is that our experience, which motivated these good words to our kids, right, in the first place about how to handle certain situations, our experience also eliminates much of the surprise about the consequences they face when they make their own decisions despite our best advice. The point is, I'm still going to pass on those things to Keegan. I'm still going to try to tell him those things because I love him. Um, and that's the heart from which Peter is writing this letter, right? these words to these exiles outside of Jerusalem. He wants them to benefit from the lessons he learned walking with Jesus for three years and the lessons he learned through the missteps he made along the way. That's what we do as parents, too. All right, so I'm going to read our passage this morning, 1 Peter 2. We're doing the first 12 verses. I'm reading from the NIV, changing it up a little bit. Um, that's what my Bible's in, sorry. All right. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like the newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for um, your, your word. I thank you that it is a living word. I thank you that it is new each time we, we read it. You speak to us through it. Give us eyes to see what you're speaking through those words. Give us ears to hear your spirit move within us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So the chapter opens with Peter writing about all these things, right, to eliminate from one's life. Therefore. Now, when you see a, a therefore in Scripture, your antenna should go up, right, and compel you to flip back to the previous sentence or the previous paragraph or the previous chapter or scroll up on your Bible app or swipe right, whatever. <laughs> chapter 1 ends with Peter calling them to love one another deeply from the heart and reminding them that they were born again of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God, and this is the word that was preached to them. Therefore, he opens chapter 2, because of this living and enduring word, in response to this living and enduring word, and their desire to love one another with a deep, sincere love, Peter pleads with them to rid themselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Why? Because Peter knows it's impossible to deeply love one another when these kinds of sins permeate our hearts and minds. You can't sincerely love one, one another that you envy. When envy creeps in, your love for another, you love another because you might end up with something. You might benefit from something that they have, right? That thing that you envy. So he says, resist the temptation, right? To, to, to get caught up in these things, right? And I think we have a tendency to read that list and think, oh, this is a list of things that the church says don't do, right? Resist that temptation as well, to view this as another list of don'ts that the church is trying to saddle you with, right? To make sure you're living right. This is the cry of a father to his children who understands through his own mistakes how these sins get in the way of what Jesus called, called him to and calls us to. All right, he goes on. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Crave pure spiritual milk. Here Peter's adding another metaphor for the word, right? Crave this milk, crave this word, crave this Jesus. We crave a lot of things. We crave our favorite foods. When women are pregnant, they, they crave really odd things, really odd combinations of things. It's September, so many of you are probably craving something pumpkin-spiced. Um, when a baby is hungry, that baby is unrelenting, right, in acquiring that milk. And they let you know. They can't explain it because they don't have words for it, or any words for that matter. But once they've tasted that milk for the first time, they crave it. Peter is suggesting here that Jesus is just like that. Right? The word is like that. Once we've tasted Jesus, we crave it. The psalmist understood that, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Why? Two reasons. One, because when we're feeding on the word like a ravenous baby, we will be better able to rid ourselves of these things he's asking us to rid ourselves of. Peter wants them to discard these things from their life. And two, it's a starting place for growing up in your salvation. Peter explains that salvation is more than a one-time event. It's a beginning of a journey into maturity. For Peter, his salvation started when Jesus called him off his fishing boat. 
But as we know from Mark, Peter had much to learn as he grew up in his faith, in his salvation, which is where he goes next, right? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As you come to him, right, is a phrase in the Greek that isn't translated really well here, because what it means is a continuing to draw near, a continuing drawing near, right? We keep coming to Jesus, who is the living stone with a capital S. We are also living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. Now Peter's just messing with us, mixing all these metaphors, right? We're stones, we're milk, we're created milk. Which, which one are we on here? Uh, but let's, let's see what this father is trying to tell his children. Jesus is the living stone. He is the foundation of all of this. We are created in God's image. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. Jesus said that. We are created in God's image. We are living stones as Jesus is the living stone. We are being built into a spiritual house. Now, the audience who read this letter, right, would have viewed a spiritual house as the temple, which was made of stone. It was the centerpiece of the Jewish faith life. Peter is now saying that through Jesus, we are being built into spiritual houses to be holy priesthoods ourselves. Again, the temple had priests, and only certain priests could enter the presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. It was hidden by a large veil or curtain. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, that veil was torn. And the Holy Spirit was given to us as a constant presence of the Lord to be housed within each of us. Some odd language, but wrestle with it a little bit. What Peter's trying to convey is that through Jesus, they are no longer bound to the material house of the temple to find the presence of the Lord. They themselves are houses for the presence of the Lord. They themselves are the priests of their spiritual houses. And priests are the Lord's servant to the people. Right? Pontifex is a name assigned to the Pope. Literally means bridge builder. Bridge builders between God and, and the people. The Pope is a priest. He's just been promoted several times. As priests of our own spiritual houses, we are all bridge builders. We all have people to serve to show them who God is. In the Jewish tradition, sacrifices were made to appease God, to wipe away sins, to celebrate God's provision. Peter tells them that now, as a holy priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Again, doing away with the old material sacrifices in a material temple, we have spiritual temples with spiritual sacrifices. When I was praying this week about this idea of spiritual sacrifices, I was asking myself, what am I sacrificing or killing off or eliminating that is acceptable to God? To love one another, to serve one another. What am I sacrificing to be more available to be a bridge builder to those around me? I'm still praying about that. There's no answer to that question. It's just out there. And Peter explains, right, that some will not care about any bridge I might build or am trying to build. Some will not care about this Jesus. Some will choose not to believe or trust in Jesus. That's the part where he draws from the Old Testament scriptures to show that these stone references that point to Jesus, 
right? Some will see Jesus as the chosen precious cornerstone, and some will reject the stone and see him as something that causes people to stumble and fall. Peter says they stumble and fall because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. That sounds harsh, destined for. Again, the translation from the Greek isn't helpful here because the point of this line is more about the reality that some will simply not choose to follow Jesus even when they hear the word. It's somewhat inevitable that some will not choose to follow Jesus. All right, he goes on. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, and now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here again, Peter is referring back to the Old Testament scripture in Hosea, where God embraces Israel after rejecting her. And through Christ, the people of God now include more than the Jewish nation. Once the Gentiles were on the outside, and now they belong. They, too, are a holy nation. They, too, are set apart. They, too, are chosen. They, too, are a royal priesthood. So if we are a royal priesthood, priests in our own spiritual houses that are being built, how do we live out our personal priesthoods? And imagine this question being considered in the time that Peter's writing this letter, right? As Josh and Jordan have discussed the past two weeks, the Christians that Peter is writing to are being persecuted. They're being subjected to some terrible treatment, baseless accusations, fear-mongering, and torture. We saw that picture, that, that painting that Jordan put up last week. So a question like, how do, we live, how do they live out their personal priesthoods, right? Can you imagine them getting that question? Because um, they would understand that. This public display of faith could easily subject them to some untold misery. That's not our situation. We have our own issues, and they feel like persecutions or mistreatment or unfairness, but do they compare to what these people were going through or what some believers go through today in other parts of the world? All right, so how do we live out these personal priesthood? Well, Peter first implores us to abstain from sinful desires that war against our soul. This is another spot where the passage can be twisted into a banner for legalism or a call to live right, which in my experience only creates flat cardboard cutouts of us that may look nice, but under any kind of pressure or squeezing, blows over, withers under a little rain, and falls away. This isn't about living right. Again, this is the exhortation of a father to his children to avoid the trappings that create burdens in our lives that shake us to our core that war against our soul. Envy, malice, deceit, gossip, unfaithfulness, slander, criticism, reputation management, all the things that get in the way of loving one another sincerely. Peter goes on to say, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter doesn't advocate for a debate course to defend yourself against personal attacks. He doesn't advocate for an apologetics course to defend God against those who don't believe or who doubt. He says, live good lives. Let your life be your testimony to those around you. To those who have bought into the lies told about you or told about the church or told about God, just live out what you believe. Live as Jesus taught us to live. I like how Paul addressed what, what, what is meant here 
to live as Jesus taught us in Romans? Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Not argument, not right living, not polished exteriors, kindness. Because they may see what you're doing. Now, they may not. Right? They, may, they, might, they may be blind to it, willfully. But they may. And what they see may turn that stumbling block for them into a cornerstone. And Peter's not encouraging them to take this approach to gain some reward, right, when Jesus comes back. That's not what that last part of verse 12 is about. Can we pull up verse 12 again? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What he's saying there is that if we will live good lives among the others in our life, they may see our good deeds, see God in us, and glorify God when they taste the goodness that he is, that is demonstrated in the lives we are living among them. The day he visits us speaks more to the experience of a personal revelation of Christ in their lives. The day he visits, the day he enters their life, and, and we recognize him for who he is. All right. In summary... Right? Peter encourages these exiles to continue drawing near to the Lord, to continue to build their spiritual houses where the Holy Spirit dwells, offering spiritual sacrifices as they work out how to serve as priests to those around them, not with words or apologetics or argument, but in the way they live as citizens of the kingdom of God in exile in their communities. We bear the same markers as the recipients of Peter's letter. We, too, have bridges to build with the people around us so that they may see our good deeds and the one who makes anything good, Jesus. So that they may see Jesus as the cornerstone that he is of their own spiritual house instead of the stumbling block that he may, may be for them. All right. I want to leave us with some questions to ponder for the week. These are first-person questions as if you are asking them of yourself. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and let's just see if one of these connects with you. Do I understand that I belong to God? What does it mean for me to belong to the kingdom of God? What are my spiritual sacrifices? What do I need to sacrifice for the sake of those I am to serve? What am I sacrificing to be more available as a bridge builder to those around me? How am I living out my personal priesthood? Lord, I thank you for your presence your presence here this morning as we worship together, um, your presence in your word, your presence in our hearts, in our own spiritual houses. I pray that, that we, would, we would know that we belong to you.
that we are precious in your eyes, that we are chosen. I pray that we would see the heart of Peter in writing this letter, that we would avoid any inclination to see things as a list of what to do to live right. I pray that that our lives would be testimonies to those around us. The way we handle tough situations, the way we lend a hand, the way we serve, I pray that we would create some space this week in our own lives to ponder one or more of these questions, that we would wrestle with them, that we would ask for your wisdom and knowledge and insight, direction. That we would open ourselves up to to your leading, to that tap on the shoulder, to that whisper in our ear. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.